talking all things training, sport performance, and business, and covering the most important topics to enhance your training and better your career. I'm your host, Jared Filippo, and this is Muscles and Management brought to you by Challenger Strength, where we build your body and your business. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode five of the Muscles and Management podcast. Today's episode uh, will be a breakdown of why the 60-yard dash is all but useless for baseball. Um, I might rant a little bit on this, uh, something I'm pretty passionate about uh, and and that I hope I can have a a hand in uh, changing uh, in terms of its importance and emphasis and use in the baseball community for coaches to evaluate speed for athletes. Um, Basically want to kind of give a a, a breakdown of of why it's useless. So, um, you know, mechanically speaking, you know, with the length of the, the 60 itself and uh, what is involved in each phase and how that kind of correlates to baseball uh, in-game situations and speed that's actually used on the field. Uh, from there, I want to kind of talk about uh, what, in my opinion, are some tests that can uh, be better served to measure effective baseball speed and, and I hope can get pushed into the forefront uh, for showcases going forward uh, to evaluate speed and erase the status quo of just kind of like accepting that the 60 has just always been the speed test. Um, we have to challenge that and kind of get rid of it. And it's been done in other areas of baseball, um, you know, with training methods and, uh, you know, a lot of more emphasis being put on uh, different metrics now with showcases and stuff like that. So it's something I'm confident can be done if, if we uh, push it the right way. And the last thing is, you know, until that day happens and, you know, the, the tests are switched out and then the 60 is um, – done away with we have to still be good at running a 60 to get good times and um have coaches you know see us as a quote-unquote fast player um basically want to get into the long-term uh, approach to improving your 60 the three different areas strength slash force um power rate of force development and mobility that can help you um get better with your 60 in addition to just repetition and improving your form. So I'll get into the technique, obviously, as well. It's extremely important. Um, and then the last thing I want to touch on, too, is things you can do in your prep for the 60, the day of a combine or a showcase, um, you know, warm-up strategies, some cues, some, like, quote-unquote hacks, so to speak, um, to improve your time and help you um, get ready to run it the best you can uh, when you actually run it. So with that being said, as always, uh, please rate, review, and subscribe if you uh, enjoy the podcast. If you like this particular episode, let me know why. Um, share it if you like it. Uh, I feel like this is an important one for, for the baseball community to see. Um, I, I've spoken on the 60 before on a couple other podcasts, but this is the first one that I will take start to finish on my own and, and kind of um, really get in depth with you know why it's ineffective and, and what we can do. Uh, to change that and how you can train for general speed itself and the 60 as well while we are still running it. Really important announcement here. I've I've been talking about this in the last couple episodes. We are officially having Pitching Ninja on next week's episode. Uh, I will be speaking to him either Monday or Tuesday this coming week uh, to record the episode. Really excited about that. Uh, Rob has really exploded as one of the prominent personalities uh, in, in baseball uh, with just not only pitching in baseball itself, but um, training, you know, get, having a, being a source for athletes and coaches to, you know, learn and share. Um, he's really, you know, blown up, so to speak, in, in that regard. So I'm really excited to have him on. Um, kind of a rundown of like, what to look for with that episode. So um, some of the topics 
basically the most important things to do right now with your training. Uh, if you're a youth athlete or baseball player, so like, what are the biggest keys for you and, and how you want to develop and, and get better? So we'll talk to Rob on that and his opinions um, on that and, and those he works with. Um, the emergence of social media in training in baseball. So, you know, obviously Rob has been somebody that has really widened his audience and reach with his Twitter account and, you know, being someone else that's also have, you know, has been doing the same personally something I really want to talk about, and, and obviously the, the premise of this podcast is training and business as well, so social media is definitely something I want to touch on with him. Um, building off that, how to best market yourself on social media as an athlete or coach, so you know now that social media has become such a, such a big platform and, and a venue to really promote yourself and, and get exposure, you know how do you go about doing that, and how do you ensure that you look your best when uh, someone actually does come knocking to look at you, uh, whether you're a coach, businessman, or player, um, you want to make sure you're in a good position to, to represent yourself the best way possible. So you don't want to, you know, do all that hard work to get yourself out there and have someone recognize you, and then, you know, not have your brand represented, your personal brand represented in the best way, uh, and ruin, you know, any opportunities you may get. So we're going to touch on that. Uh, and why free info is so important. I talked about this on my uh, episode about the five things uh, your college education won't teach you about business, the importance of free content. Uh, Rob is someone who puts a lot of free content out, his new flat ground app, which we will discuss as well. That was like the next uh, point I was going to get to and what we're gonna, going to discuss um, has been out for about two weeks now. Um, and his Pitching Ninja main account, just both accounts really giving great exposure um, to athletes for free and coaches for free. Uh, I've got, I got a lot of early exposure in my time on Twitter. Um, thanks to Rob and, and we, I want to just discuss with him as someone else who gives out uh, free content and I, I, I do as well obviously I've discussed this um, why that's important why it's uh, necessary and you know how it can really help grow the industry and then as I already mentioned uh, I wanted to have a general discussion of his new app uh, you know where he plans to go with that and then how it's helping people and then I will open up a, a Q&A at the end I will ask him uh, questions from you guys so I will tweet that out and, and look for you to ask questions, uh, anything you want to hear from him that you want me to ask him. Um, please submit those, and, and I'll do my best to get as many in as possible. So with that being said, what am I ranting on today? So uh, not going to lie to you, this is a little bit of a personal thing for me. Um, dealing with, and this is something I've dealt with for the last couple of years as I've been in the industry, but um, the ongoing struggle of... Uh, a lot of it's football related to football is a weird sport in the sense that um, the teams prioritize and, and put a lot of emphasis on uh, off-season programs. So much so, you think they would actually, you know, have qualified people to run them, so they weren't just, you know, clusters of just chaos where kids are just all over the place, no one supervising them. I can go on and on on that, but um, <laughs> the rant is really just forcing. On, on my my issues with forcing kids to go to these bad uh, school team lifts, um, you know they're not. There's you know there's and this isn't all of them. I don't want to make a blanket statement. Some of these schools are doing the right things, but if you're going to force a kid to go to a team lift, make sure that the lift is good. Make sure there there's a plan. There's supervision. Uh, kids not doing half squats, bouncing bars off their chest for bench presses, etc. Ego lifts. Um, a lot of these team workouts become. 
working out, just that, and not training. So there's really no plan. It's just go in there and, and try to throw up as much weight as you can each day. Um, can leave you getting hurt. And not only that, but, you know, if there's no uh, progression or plan to, to uh, you know, progress and get better as you go. So there's really just like a giant hole there with that. Um, and you're forcing kids to go to these, and there's just really no solid plan for most of them. Um, and honestly, at the end of the day, if a kid wants to go somewhere else, there's obviously something missing. So instead of getting mad that the kid's going to another trainer, just maybe look at the, look in the mirror and say, you know, what is my program missing? Um you know, if I have kids that want to go elsewhere. So I think that's like a really important thing. Um, speed workouts that are turning into just glorified conditioning sessions, say it simply and, and keep it quick. But if it's, you know, over a certain threshold of time of a max uh, intensity effort, it's not speed, it's conditioning. And if there's not enough rest, again, conditioning, not speed. So stop calling, you know, endless wind sprints with no rest speed work. It's not. It's conditioning, and you see a lot of that. Um, and then something, the last thing that really is bothering me with this is exerting influence uh, with playing time and, uh, you know, help with colleges and stuff as a high school coach. Uh, it, it's just wrong. Like, you shouldn't have to do that to keep kids in your doors. Uh, you shouldn't force kids to stay in your doors. If they, you know, want to go elsewhere to get better because they feel like they're going to get more attention and it's going to better their um, career and they're getting the work in, don't be bitter about it. Um, with that being said, as always, I try to be level-headed with all of this. Like, what can you do if you're in this situation? Um, you can get around it. You know, if you have to go to your team lifts, do your team lifts and make sure that you're training on the side. You want to always give yourself enough time to recover. So limit the, you know, uh, two-a-day lifts. Don't go to a trainer after you have a team lift. Work your schedule around each other. And on the days you are going to a trainer, you know, work on the things you're not getting in those lifts. So if you're not getting speed work that's actually, you know, sprint-related with proper rest, plyometrics, bar speed work, all those type of things. Get those in. Uh, you can get a lot of results still. Don't be worried about missing your numbers with your actual trainer on your plan. You could still get a lot of results with just those things being done. And then kind of pick and choose your spots. So if the lift was light, you weren't, you didn't have to go one, one day of the week or whatever it is, um, you know, attack from there and kind of figure out what you can and can't do. Um, there is always a solution to work around and just make sure that uh, you are recovering. Hopefully, we can not only make sure that uh, better professional coaches that know what they're doing are in charge of these lists, but um, athletes will start to have more freedom and not be forced uh, to go into uh, bad training. So with that being said, uh, moving on to the 60. So as I said, the premise of this show, I kind of want to talk about like why the 60 is dated, um, You know, give a breakdown of, of the reasons behind that and, and why uh, that is the case. So getting right into it. Um, if we're looking at sprinting, uh, we have to think of two distinct phases. You know, you can you can break those two phases into a couple different uh, sub-phases, but for the ease of understanding this, I'm going to break it into two. So uh, with a sprint, uh, the two different phases, the main phases you're going to look at are acceleration. Uh, think of like that first 15 yards or basically how uh, long it takes uh, a player to an athlete to get into what's called top speed, which is the next phase. Um, acceleration could also be known as the drop, the drive phase. I apologize for the uh, error there. Drive phase and top speed can also be known as top velocity. So, essentially, acceleration, as I said, is that like first fifteen or so yards is a good, um, you know, kind of look at that and, and uh, a good estimate for that. And essentially, you know, what is involved in the acceleration phase? So, uh, you're at a steeper angle. You're on like that nice forty-five degree angle. Um, your strides are contacting the ground for a little longer as you're just getting going. Um, 
you know, your strides are more angled. So we have something called positive shin angle. Uh, your strides are at like a nice 45 degree angle mirroring your body. And basically, uh, the whole premise is behind the fact that you're on that angle. You want to overcome, uh, gravity, build momentum and, and kind of build into, uh, the top speed phase where you then drive up to more of an upright position and your strides become more top to bottom versus uh, out in front of you. Your center of mass in acceleration is uh, more out in front of your strides versus in top speed where it's really uh, under you. So I'm sorry, uh, over you. So your center of mass at a top speed position would be like right over uh, the point of contact. Your, your point of contact with your stride is like right below your hip, even with your hip and your, and your center of uh, mass is right above that. Whereas acceleration, your center of mass is out in front of like your ankle, so to speak. So think about if you made contact with your stride and your second or third stride of a sprint uh, and you're on that angle, your chest is out in front of you. And the whole point of that is it's really propelling your body forward um, you know, to get into top speed position and build momentum. And then top speed is more of, of a vertical, uh, they call it vertical impulse. So you make contact with the ground quick and rhythmically, and you want to minimize the amount of time you're spending on the ground. So uh, that's another distinct difference between uh, ground contact time and acceleration. You're on the ground longer with your stride. And then as you get to top speed, uh, you are more, you know, quick touches. You want to be as quick and efficient with those strides as possible you want to spend as least as less uh, uh, little time as possible on the ground with those strides and they're more vertical impulses pushing you upward so now with that being said so um if we look at a 60 right so now i said 15 yards about on average for for top to get to top speed uh through acceleration so that could be you know 12 yards for a more advanced guy that can get into acceleration uh a little bit faster it could be 20 but estimate let's say for this example 15 so in a 60 if we're going to say 15 yards are acceleration right so let's break that down so 15 yards means there's 45 more yards that are spent in top speed so 15 yards right off the bat so only 25 percent of a 60 yard dash is a true test of acceleration the other 75 percent of this test the other three quarters of it are top speed how now how does that make sense uh in terms of baseball if you really look at baseball as a sport you need to understand how much value is placed on acceleration um how little time relative to the 60 that you're spending in top speed um first and foremost even first to second or i'm sorry uh home to second on a double first to third second to home whatever it may be even though those are longer distances, you're not getting a full straight linear sprint. You're turning, you're rounding the bases, um, you're breaking it down just a little bit, right? So um, that especially eliminates, you know, the need for uh, the thought process that you need the longer sprint work because of things like that. Then if we look at individual things such as uh, home to first, the base paths themselves are about 30 yards, right? So at most, you're running half of a home to first uh, in top speed big difference from the 75% top speed you're getting in a 60-yard dash. Now, think of things as a stolen base, right? So stolen bases are pretty important running the bases. If we look at some data, and if I could try to find this tweet, I, I will post it uh, if I can come across it, but um, there was a tweet from the MLB Stats and Info. They have like those accounts now that uh, give you, you know, um, science breakdowns, like, you know, the hit tracks type stuff, but times sort of things for uh, speed. So like uh, feet per second they have, they rate guys, right? Uh, they came up with a metric that the average MLB player, and, you know, I get you can say, okay, well, you know, Little League, high school, um, you know, they might not get there in the same amount of strides, but I'm just looking at MLB as a, um, 
you know, kind of an example because one, I don't really have the data for the younger guys, but you could assume it's not that far off. Even if you know it takes an MLB player 11 strides to get to uh, first to second, um, and seven of them are acceleration, you could assume that that ratio would be uh, whether it's eight to 14. Um, you know, it takes them nine out of 15, whatever it may be. Um, you can kind of see where the issue comes in. So let's just go back to the MLB player. Um, average MLB player, the, the average base dealer is taking 11 strides to get uh, from first to second on a stolen base, right? Seven of those 11 strides are in acceleration. So the player is only spending about 35% of those 11 strides it takes them on a stolen base in, in quote-unquote top speed where they're you know more upright and the mechanics mirror uh, more of that top velocity phase. So essentially, um, seven of 11, you get about 65% of a stolen base is spent in acceleration, right? So look at the base stealing itself. Let's say the average lead is 8 to 10 feet. So that knocks the base path down right away to about 80 feet. You're sliding, and that takes probably another 8 to 10 feet, maybe 8 feet itself. So let's say even if we're being generous, 75 feet in a base path, even we'll say 70. Now put that in perspective. That's about 25 yards. So let's see, yeah, about 25 yards. 25 yards, the average person takes 15 yards to accelerate. 15 of 25 yards is an acceleration. 15 of 60 yards in a 60-yard dash. You can kind of see where the, the issue might come, uh, come into play here. Um, looking at the youth athletes, so like, as I said, if you make the argument that they will need more strides to get to second... Uh, that's true, but they also will take longer to reach top speed due to lack of power and running skill. So the ratio, like I said, could be about the same. I already talked about how uh, longer base running distances, like first to uh, first to third, home to second, are, are not linear, right? So yeah, they're more top speed, but at the end of the day, you're rounding the base, you're kind of breaking that linear uh, movement, right? So you really can't say that anything on the baseball field involves 45 yards of straight top speed running. An outfielder's not going that far. If you're at a good average depth in the outfield, there's no shot you are running in a straight line anywhere for more than 30 yards. Think about it. If the wall's 350 and you're 225 out in in left field, you're not going to run full speed because you've got to watch out for the wall, you've got to check the wall, get to the warning track... And we're assuming you're going to run on a straight line to get back there. The ball's moving. You're playing the trajectory. You're cutting angles, right? There is no specific point on a baseball field where an athlete is running in 35 to 40 to 45 yards at top speed. Even on the base paths for longer distances, they have to round the bases and break themselves down even a little bit. That brings me to my next point. So now that I'm saying, you're like, all right, Jerry, great. 60-yard dash isn't you know, effective. What do you recommend? So in my opinion, um, there are three really great tests that I think should start being uh, put into place for showcases for high school athletes, um, combines, MLB players, college guys, uh, whatever, uh, you know, whatever age level there is, three different tests that I think are great um, to implement versus a 60. So first and foremost, the 10-yard dash. So not only does the 10-yard dash really highlight the importance you know, important uh, attribute of acceleration, which I've said, uh, I've shown is extremely important uh, in baseball itself. And you could even go more than just sprinting, you know, first step ability, you know, moving laterally off that first step, uh, you know, getting after ground balls, an infielder, that first step is an outfielder, 
getting out of the box as a hitter, that first step is really important. So that 10-yard dash is really going to show, you know, how great a guy can, you know, get that first stride down and get power and extension off that leg, um, you know, and how quick he can accelerate. So I need to know, you know, if I'm trying to evaluate a guy and see if he's useful in terms of quote-unquote baseball speed, how fast can he accelerate, how fast can he get out there? Next, 30-yard dash. So we don't want to eliminate top speed all the way. So let's look at the 30. The 30-yard dash gives us like a 15 to 15 ratio in terms of acceleration to top speed. So you're not only going to test, hey, this guy gets to acceleration to 15 yards, and you want to see how he transitions to top speed, but you're also getting you know half the test in top speed. So if you do want to see what top speed uh, looks like for them and how fast they get there, and you can do splits between um, you know 15, the first 15 and the second 15, and see how they move uh, between acceleration and top speed. 30 is a great test. Now you're moving more towards the pendulum. You're shifting the pendulum more towards the uh, ratios that I've been giving, you know, that 35 to 65. This is now 50-50. So, yeah, it's not perfect, but it also gives us a good idea of what the athlete can do when they reach top speed because that is important in some aspects. The last test, and this is truly baseball specific. It's not just a generic sprint. uh, I would do a home to, uh, to second. The home to second is going to give me an idea of not only acceleration, top speed, but it's also going to show me, you know, how well the athlete can transition around a base and get back in to top speed. So I think those three tests themselves um, can really, you know, be used to uh, take the 60 out of play and and they're going to be more productive. Yeah, there's more uh, to it. You have to run three different tests, but I think you can really get more information out of those. You can see how an athlete's going to accelerate. You can see how they transition to top speed see how fast they are in top speed, and then you can really put it into the baseball world itself and see how fast they can get around a base and transition and get back into top speed once they were already there. So I think those three tests themselves should really start to move to the forefront of baseball testing uh, and take over for the 60. And uh, you can really see why the 60 is kind of ineffective um, in its assessment. It's just it's a test that coaches you know, a 6'8 runner might just be really, really good in top speed. They might accelerate poorly. And if they accelerate poorly, they're going to be really ineffective in the baseball sense of how they are as a baseball speed type of athlete, right? So uh, baseball speed is different than the, the 60 speed uh, is measuring. So, um, you know, a 6'8 could mean that that guy really gets that last 45 yards. Once he's upright and moving, he's really fast. But he could be very slow in that first 10 yards, which is going to leave a big hole in his game in terms of how his speed translates to the field. So even though I just kind of spent you know a good amount of time telling you why the 60 is bad, um, we still have to understand that we do need to run it as athletes and baseball players and for coaches who are coaching these players. Um, it's still something that is being used, and until the day it's not, it's still something that needs to be um, worked at and improved upon uh, for the recruiting process you know, uh, from college players getting drafted, et cetera. It is something that's still valued. So um, really want to talk about, you know, some general overall, you know, ways you can improve your speed. I don't want to get into that too much because this isn't a speed-specific episode. Uh, it's more towards the 60. But then what I do really want to touch on is um, some things you can do before you run your 60 if you're going to a showcase, if you're a high school player, um, th- kind of ways to prepare yourself. And a couple different, I guess, quote-unquote hacks, so to speak, Um some different things that can help you, uh, you know, do the best you can in the 60, uh, terms of the 60 specifically itself. So starting positioning, um, some things to try to do with your start, uh, and then kind of some top speed cues. 
So simple enough, um, if you're looking just for the speed improvement itself overall, and we're applying it specifically to the 60. So I will say before I get into anything technique related, um, this is kind of simple, and I talk about this a lot if you follow me on Twitter or Instagram. Um, with youth athletes, building that base of strength is huge, and making sure that they move properly and their muscles are uh, you know, limited in terms of the dysfunction, like you eliminate a lot of the dysfunction. Uh, building a strength base and you know having them able to put force into the ground is like the number one thing that they can learn, uh, or one of the num- one of the top two things they can learn uh, at a young age. I'd, I'd also argue that um, getting the mechanics fleshed out when they're you know at that young 10, 11, 12 year old age can be huge because uh, it's easier to kind of mold them um, as they age. Their mold, their nervous system is going to kind of like really really set and, and getting rid of bad habits is harder it's not impossible to do or you can't it's not that you can't do it but it, it's a lot easier to do and you'll get a lot more effective work done if it's uh you know done at a young age so that's first and foremost really build that strength level um the second thing i said top two one a one b whatever you want to say um once that base of strength is built technique i already alluded to it with young athletes but technique is king um, you could have all the force in the world that you can put into the ground and you can be really explosive, but if your technique is bad, you have leaks of energy, um, you know, you overall just struggle with really utilizing uh, the, the force that you possess or the ability to reproduce that force. Um, and I say reproduce that force, that's something you can struggle with if your form is, is poor. So if you don't strike the ground properly, you're at poor angles, um, you know, it can really hamper um what you can put into the sprint. So you're really only going to use so much force um, if you can't, if you don't have the form to uh, put it into the sprint, right? So you could squat 900 pounds and you could put all this force into the ground, but and, and you could be super elastic and have a great vertical and, and you know move uh, force off the ground fast. But if your mechanics are not up to par, it's not going to really be shown fully uh, in your sprint work. Um, from there, again, talking strength training base, once that's accomplished, plyometrics uh, are really important to build elasticity, uh, show the body how to handle the stretch shortening cycle, uh, the rapid firing uh, and contraction of the muscles. Uh, really important to what's called limited ground contact time. You want to limit that ground contact time, especially in top speed. So um, general plyometrics for youth athletes, just a slow or a fast load uh, into a fast jump, keep it basic. And then as you get more advanced, doing things like depth jumps where you're jumping, landing, and trying to get off the ground and, and limit what's called the uh, amortization phase. Basically just you know how long uh, you're spending on the ground and uh, in a plyometric exercise. So to keep it simple, like you're jumping off that box and you're trying to land and get into your next jump as fast as possible. Uh, you're trying to you know teach the ligaments how to be stiff um, and absorb forces from the ground. So just as like you would jump off that box into your next jump uh, is the same as your leg or your foot contacts the ground and it has to you know quickly generate force absorb force and get off the ground as fast as possible so that your next sprint or your next stride I'm sorry uh, can begin so that is like the number one of the top important things to be a fast uh, sprinter not only having elite force and being able to reproduce it but part of being able to reproduce it is limiting the ground contact time you only have a finite amount of time, and it's a very small window to, to show that force. So you want to be able to you know, display it fast once you have a lot of it and you've built that up. And you want to be able to move from one uh, bout or one stride to the next as fast as possible. That's what makes a fast sprinter.
Technique is also king in that. If you look at guys like Usain Bolt, Michael Johnson, and Asafa Powell, any of the, the best uh, track guys of all time, uh, Carl Lewis is like another old school guy, uh, their form, you know, how their legs move from stride to stride to really minimize the amount of time it takes to put your next leg on the ground. You really eventually want to zone in on how can I move from stride to stride as fast as possible. Technique is king in that regard. A couple different exercises that I recommend. Um, I mentioned plyometrics. I mentioned jump training. And obviously strength, you're going to do more of like, you know, barbell work, squats. Um, Resisted jumps are great. Uh, the basic young athlete who hasn't trained a lot, just keep them with more of the strength type of movements and really uh, teach them how to load properly with their jumps. It can go a very long way. And then as they progress, move into some of the more advanced stuff that I'm mentioning. Resisted jumps, uh, velocity training with the barbell to develop uh, power. You know, how fast can you demonstrate uh, your, your strength? Um, and above all else, people really underestimate the importance of just sprinting. Once you develop a base of strength as an athlete, Sprinting itself can be really, really good as a power and strength workout itself. Once you're developed enough and you have high levels of force production, you put enough force into the ground where it it responds back on your body the same way as a lot of strength training does. Um, On top of that, you need to sprint and able to produce proper mechanics. Repetition is what builds proper mechanics, right? So uh, you have your, your short acceleration work, your 10 to 15 yard sprints, you're really working on that first stride, getting it out there, uh, being smooth, and, and trying to limit the amount of strides it takes you to cover ground, right? That's really important. Stride length is key. And with accept top speed, um, look at obviously your longer sprints, your 40, 50-yard sprints, but also look at things such as build-up sprints, flying sprints, um, you know, where you're, you're kind of accelerating and then you hit that 10 to 15-yard zone and you're all top speed and you're working strictly top speed. Um, those are two really good ways uh, to train acceleration and top speed. It's just short sprints for acceleration, uh, longer sprints for top speed. Mix that in with the strength and the plyometric training, and it can go a really long way in, in making you a, a faster runner. Now, looking at um, the actual 60 itself and, and some kind of things you can do to prep the day of uh, a showcase when you're going to run the 60, etc. So, first and foremost, Proper warm-up. If you go to a lot of these showcases, if I have any high school guys listening or, or college guys or, or whatever it is, um, some of the warm-ups are really watered down, and they're doing the best they can, but it might not be something that's really going to pre- prepare you uh, the best you need to be prepared to run an effective 60. So what I always recommend to guys is, is have a warm-up, a go-to warm-up, and I have all my athletes have one um, that they can kind of, in an emergency situation, have access to to do and, and make sure they're ready to go. Um, and a general warm-up run, uh, you know, rundown or guidelines, um, you want to look at, you know, blood flow, right? So before you do any mobility work, you really want to warm your muscles up and get them going. Uh, a jog, high knees, uh, I, I don't generally like speed ladders, but if you want to use them to get your blood going, I, I'm okay with it. Five, seven minutes, you know, get yourself moving, get your blood, uh, t- your body temperature up. Then, if you need to do any type of mobility work, hamstrings, quads, hip flexors, whatever it is, that is the time to do it. So you've got blood flow, mobilization. From there, 
we want to activate. We just mobilized uh, our muscles. A lot of people would argue that it kind of puts them, it relaxes them, uh, it downregulates your nervous system. So um, it's the anti of what you want for uh, prepping your body for uh, a high output activity such as sprinting, right? So from there, we would activate all of those muscle groups. So uh, fire hydrants, get your hips moving. I love gates. Gates are just simply, you know, walking down and back, bringing the hips through, getting the hips going. Um, tons of different things you could do here. Just really just wake those muscles back up if you stretch them and get them going again. Dynamic leg swings, uh, stuff like that. From there, move to more of like a movement pattern type thing. So if you're going to sprint, I really think lunges are really a great way, um, a great way to get your body primed for unilateral activity. So if you want to just do like, you know, five to ten each side, kind of get your body moving. So you've gone from blood flow mobilization, activation, and now you're working more of like a movement pattern. So now you're kind of really getting the body ready to go for the activity. From there, get the core activated, 30 second plank, one minute plank, whatever it is. The core is the center of all movement. It stabilizes the spine while the legs and arms are moving. Really important to get that fired up. So hit a plank, doesn't have to be anything crazy, 30 seconds to a minute, right? Get that activated. After that, we really want to fire up the nervous system, right? So this is really what a warm-up does is it slowly, gradually builds you up to be able to really explode your nervous system and get it ready. So skips, jumps. If you have a med ball, I mean, you may have a med ball everywhere you go, but um, sprints, jumps, and throws are going to be great, and you're going to be sprinting already. So if you want to kind of get that core going and then just get right into some build-up sprints and some warm-up sprints, great. Now, the 60 itself. 60s are started in what's called what I call the baseball start position, right? So your general position like you'd be when you have a lead. With that being said, baseball start position, one of the most important things that can really help you, and a lot of people don't think about it, is the push off your back leg. So your front leg is really the first official drive leg that pushes through the ground and gets you into your sprint. However, if you get really good extension and straighten off that back leg and push off the back leg, what that's going to do is it's going to really get your center of mass, your, your weight over your front leg that's going to push off, and it's going to really help you get your weight driving straight ahead, linear, right? The whole point of acceleration is how well you can get your weight moving forward so you can pull yourself into top speed, right? Make sure you get good drive off that back leg, get extension, and then push through into your sprints. Um, something that I like that I think could help practice that if, you, if you're looking for it, um, uh, lateral half kneeling start. So basically what that is, uh, you would get into like, let's say you're, you're running a sprint, you would be facing laterally obviously. Uh, your back, you'd be down on one knee, your front knee would be down, and you'd be uh, pushing off your backside. So it kind of forces you to get used to extension um, through that first, that back leg uh, in your baseball start. Second thing, get through your toe on your first two strides. A lot of guys will end flat-footed. You want to drive through your toe. It's going to ensure that your shin angle is where it needs to be. And again, it's going to get you moving uh, and build momentum for you to get into top speed. Top speed-wise, really good cue that I like is relax the upper half, right? So um, restricted in the neck, the shoulders, whatever, it transfers down the body. Relax the shoulders. Uh, get that torso upright as fast as possible. Uh, the t uh, more upright the torso is, the more fluid the hips can move. A torso that is hunched over will restrict movement of the hips. It will limit how high your knees can get, and it will really slow down um, what's called the recovery leg, so the leg that's swinging through after it touches the ground and comes back up. 
you want to get that leg back out front and ready to stride as fast as possible. So think relax upper half, shoulders and neck. Torso gets upright into top speed and get the knees up. It'll really help you move from stride to stride as fast as possible. So I hope you guys enjoyed that breakdown. I, I hope it's simple enough. Uh, as I post this, I'm going to really open it up to questions uh, for any players who follow me, coaches, etc. I just want to reiterate again, uh, really excited. We're going to have Pitching Ninja on next week's episode. Um, I'm going to open that up again, too, for questions. If you have anything you'd like to hear from him, please let me know. Um, you know, he's a pretty popular guy, and, and I think he has a lot to say that could help a lot of people. So if there's anything you really want to know specifically from his end, please comment, give me feedback. As always, uh, please you know, subscribe, rate, and review this on iTunes. It really helps. Uh, I think this is starting to get some nice traction, and I'm excited about that, and I, I really want to get it out there to help as many people as possible. We're going to start having some more guests. Um, you know, I have some really exciting potential guests to get on here. Uh, you know, they have some great things to say, some guys that have landed some recent pro jobs that I want to talk to. Um, you know, I'm really excited about that. So uh, I really want to, you know, build the traction of this and get more people on like that and, and get this out to as many people as possible. So as always, if you enjoy it, share it, get it out there. Uh, it really makes a difference, and I really appreciate it. So thank you. Thank you for listening to the Muscles and Management Podcast brought to you by Challenger Strength. I'm your host, Jerry Filippo, helping you build your body and your business.